find Genesis 16. When the way of faith seems difficult. When the way of faith seems difficult. Genesis 16. As we continue our walk through the book of Genesis. We will get up to chapter 50 in about six years. Beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan... Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived... She looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Birlaheroi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. A gentleman by the name of Don Young out of the state of Kansas, tells the following story. He writes, When our eldest daughter was old enough to understand what saving money was all about, my wife and I sat down with her and explained the value of money. We explained how you save, and once your piggy bank is full, you take the money out, you deposit it into the bank, 
and you draw interest. We thought we had done a good job. She seemed to understand and she couldn't wait to open a savings account in our local bank by herself. I called the banker in our little town and told him our daughter was on the way down to open up her savings account and we would stop in later and sign the necessary papers. What a thrill, he writes. She got the president of the bank himself to wait on her. She handed over her savings and he gave her a receipt and thanked her for her business. But she wouldn't leave. She just stood there. Stood there with her hand out. And he looked down at our daughter and said, Is there something more that I can help you with? She said, Yes. I want my interest. (laughs) Waiting. Waiting. It's one of the most difficult things to do sometimes, is it not? Waiting. You know, in our spiritual lives, the period of waiting is oftentimes a very difficult period too. A time where we lose focus And if we're not careful, we get off track. And you know, it's not difficult to get off track in our spiritual walk. We've seen how Abram has done this already. We saw that he failed to trust God even after a high point in his spiritual walk. And he went down to Egypt and there in Egypt he lied about Sarah being his sister. And it ended up hurting his testimony down there, didn't it? Well, after that, we see in the, in the flow of the narrative that Abram has experienced another high point. God has appeared to Abram and assured him that he would have a son from his own body, not the adopted servant in his household. God took him outside, showed him the stars of heaven, and promised that that is how numerous his descendants would be. And then we saw last week what God did after that. God literally, it's it's called cutting a covenant. He cut a covenant with Abram. So needless to say, Abram has had some mountaintop experiences with God. But tonight we're going to see him Slipping down into the valley once again. Now folks, we need to understand something. Years have passed since he first arrived in Canaan. And still no son has been born to him. Abram and Sarai are getting up in years. And it just doesn't seem possible to them now that God's promises could come to pass. What we're going to see tonight is the danger of failing to trust God's Word and coming up with solutions of our own. The danger of failing to trust God's Word and coming up with solutions of our own. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is the danger of waiting on God. Look at verse uh, 1 again. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. You can imagine 
the disappointment that Abram and Sarah have at this point. What you may not realize is that since chapters 12 and 13, uh, back during those narratives, 10 years have now passed. You know, sometimes we read our Bibles. I think I might have mentioned this last week. We read our Bibles and we turn the page and we see the next storyline, the next episode developing. And and we wrongly assume that it was just boom, 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 back to back, right? And what we may not realize is that between two chapters, there may be the passage of time of 10, 12, 15, 20 years, And we need to realize that when we read these narratives in in the book of Genesis. Sometimes just between a single chapter, there can be quite a number of years that have transpired. So they've been in Canaan for 10 years now. And so far, nothing has transpired by way of a child. It's even been a while since God reiterated his promise to them in chapter 15. And so I'm sure that Abram and Sarai at this point just don't see how it can happen. Sarai is 75 and Abram is 85. Now folks, there are some important lessons to learn as we wait. I think the first lesson we need to, we need to understand is that God does things in His time and for His glory. God does things in His time and for His glory. And we need to remember that God's time is not our time. The Bible says that a thousand years to us is nothing more than a day with God. I mean, if you're eternal from eternity past to eternity future, then time really doesn't mean anything to you. And that's how God is. God reckons time differently than we do. And God's not in a hurry. Somebody once wisely said that uh, God is seldom early but never late. God is seldom early but never late. He's not in a hurry. God has a purpose oftentimes in our waiting Hebrews 11.12, write down Hebrews 11.12. Does anybody know right off the top of your head what Hebrews 11.12 says? It speaks about Abram and Sarai. You want to take a guess? They were as good as dead by this point. Why did God do things this way? Why do you think God did things this way? Walk by faith, not by sight. What else? Okay. But also to bring glory to himself, right? If this would have been a young couple, Abram and Sarah would have been a young couple, is giving birth to a baby any Any unusual act? Is there anything unusual about a young couple having a baby? Nothing unusual to that at all. 
But at their age, 75 and 85, what would everybody know? That this had to be God's doing. That's all it could be. And also, Abram and Sarai themselves would see that the birth of this child would be none other than God's doing and the fulfillment of His promise to them. Sometimes God does things that, so that nobody can stand back and take credit. You know, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 1, doesn't he? He says in 1 Corinthians 1 that that's why God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And then he goes on there to say not many wise are chosen, not many noble, some but not many. By and large God chooses plain and ordinary men and women, those who are not the who's who's of the world. And he works through them so that nobody can stand back and give them credit or take credit to themselves. You see, if God only chose the best looking, the smartest, the brightest, then the world would not be at all surprised by what they're able to accomplish. But God chooses the weak things of the world. And he does so, so that everybody will see that it's God. And everybody will see what God can do. I like the little exercise Dr. Adrian Rogers gave his congregation on one occasion... He says, if you were voted most likely to succeed in high school, raise your hand. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. If you were the uh, valedictorian of your class, raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. If you have advanced postgraduate degrees from one or more of America's Ivy League schools, raise your hand. If you were ever Miss America, raise your hand. Miss Universe. Anybody Miss Universe? Raise your hand. He went on to say, he said, if you raised your hand, God can use you too. It's just going to be a little more difficult. Because <laughs> he's going to have to humble you first. God chooses the weak things, the base things, the, the things that are not to confound the wise. And what does Paul go on to say about that? So that no flesh will do what? No flesh will boast before God. You see, that's why God had Abram and Sarah waiting, one of the reasons anyway. He had them waiting to get them small enough, or in their case, to get them old enough so that everybody would see God's hand in this. So God had a purpose in waiting, and it was to bring glory to himself 
and to show that only he could have done this. So today, if God has you waiting on something, I want you to think this may be one of the reasons. God may have you waiting on something so that in the end, only he will get the glory. And so that you'll know there's no way you can take uh, credit for it. But folks, in God's timing, he knows when and how to bring something to pass. He knows exactly how to do it. And God can do things so that everybody stands back and everybody knows God did this. You know, I've told you before about uh, back when I was in high school and then in college, I'd always been an honor student and had no idea what God wanted to do with my life. So, uh, so I went to UNCC and started studying business administration because I thought, you know what, that's got a thousand and one applications. If I just do some broad degree like that, just all kinds of avenues. I was the most miserable person on the face of the earth. I hated it. I, I, now, I liked economics, and I liked some of my other classes, but overall, I just, I just hated it. Again, I'd always been an honor student. I just wasn't motivated at all. Didn't, for the first time in my life, didn't care if I went to class. Didn't care if I did my assignments. I just didn't care. And here I was always bringing home A's. And now I didn't, quite frankly, I didn't care what I brought home. And then God called me to preach. And then I started studying for the ministry. And boy, I was motivated. And I didn't just take the standard 12 or 15 hours in college like most people take. I would take 18 hours or 22 hours even. 22 hours in college. Pretty much had a perfect GPA. And uh, Burns Coleman, the chairman of our department, came to me and said I was going to qualify down at uh, Wingate. It's Wingate College then, Wingate University now. That I would qualify for the president's scholarship going to Southwestern Seminary for the student. Uh, with the highest GPA going on to Southwestern to seminary. He said, your GPA, that'll, that'll be you. you I'm, I'm writing up the recommendation for you to get that. Well, there's only one problem. When my cumulative got factored in, it, I mean, the GPA was still really high, but it just barely dropped below the cutoff limit. I didn't qualify anymore. So I lost the president scholarship. I was the uh, youth pastor at Parkwood Baptist in Gastonia. Connie and I were about to get married. And, uh, but we decided we wanted to get a few more ducks in a row before we moved to Texas. Got married and moved to Texas. So we delayed a semester. And uh, Parkwood was like, well, we want you to stay on. And so one Sunday night in a business conference, after the business conference, uh, Bobby Sanderson, the minister of music, came out and he said, congratulations on both. I said, both? They were only voting on one thing, that I was going to extending my 
stay here. He said, yeah, we did that. Uh, but we also voted to send you to seminary with money. And guess how much it was? The exact amount to the penny that I lost in the scholarship. Not a dollar more, not a dollar less. The exact amount. Do you think that was a coincidence? No, I don't think so at all. Sometimes God does things that, you know, you stand back and all you can say is, God, that was you. That had to be you. And so again, God may have you waiting. God may have you waiting right now something in your life to teach you that very lesson. So you'll know it's him. And so that when he brings it to pass, you and everybody around you will give glory to God over that. That's what he was doing in their lives here. Well, also we see that uh, sometimes God has us waiting to teach us to trust him more. To teach us to trust him more. That would be a second reason. Here he was teaching Abram and, and Sarai about trusting him when, when everything in life tells you otherwise. Now, they had the word of God to go on from chapter 15, the promise of God. But that promise seemed in the distant past now. So were they still supposed to trust that old promise? Yes. You see, the Bible says uh, in the New Testament that what happened to the saints in the Old Testament is to be a lesson to us, even today. That's why if you ever hear somebody say, well, we're a New Testament church, shouldn't we only be reading the New Testament? What's the answer to that? No. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God, the only thing he had in his hand at that point was what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament's the inspired word of God too. And again, Paul said, the things that happened to the Old Testament saints continue today in the church to serve as powerful lessons and powerful examples to you and me today. Now, if circumstances would have been ideal for Abram and Sarai to trust God, what kind of lesson would that be to us when we're experiencing difficulty? We would say, but of course they trusted God. They had every reason to trust Him. But by doing things this way, we learn from Abram and Sarah about trusting God when every thread of human wisdom would say to do otherwise. We're to trust God's word and we're to depend upon him to bring about everything he has said even though everything in the world might be a testimony against it. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but not one jot, not one tittle of my word will ever fail. And so the lesson here is trust God no matter what. 
Because if God has said it, he will bring it to pass. So the waiting you're experiencing right now may be God's way of getting you to trust him even more deeply when you want to do something different. Well, secondly tonight, the second main thing I want you to see is the ease of charting your own course. The ease of charting your own course. Verse 2 says, Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has uh, prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Not only has Sarai concluded that God can't do what he said he was going to do, um, what they had been expecting, but she's even now begun reasoning to herself, I must be the reason. She must be thinking back to that promise saying, Well, God told my husband that he would have an heir that would come from his body. But nothing was really said necessarily about the child coming from my own body too. So maybe I'm the problem. He's not the problem. I'm the problem. And so according to marriage customs of the day, what happens next was not considered wrong. Now folks, I want to be clear. It was not God's plan. Because God's plan from the beginning was one man and one woman. But according to the customs of the day of all the people around them, What Sarai proposes here was actually pretty customary. In fact, if a woman gave her maid to her husband so he could have children through her, the child would be considered the woman's child, not the maid's child. It would be considered the wife's child. So Sarai giving Hagar to Abram, if Hagar gets pregnant, has a child, that child's going to be considered as Sarai's in in the customs of the day. And and we're going to see later on how, how Jacob was later to do something very much like this. Again, it wasn't God's plan. And wherever we see things like this happening in the Old Testament, trouble ensued right after. It caused jealousy. It caused division in the family. And that's exactly what it ended up doing here. But what's Sarai doing? 
coming up with a plan of her own. I just don't see how God's word, how God's promise can come to pass. It just doesn't seem like God can do it anymore. We're too old. God can't do it God's way, the way God said. So we got to help him out a little bit. We've got to do it our way. God, you know, poor God. Poor God. He's, he's too weak. He's too powerless. We humans just kind of have to come alongside of him and, and, and prop him up, right? Yeah. i tell you what, it's not wise to doubt God, is it? God doesn't need our help. Folks, when we chart our own course, it is easy to end up blaming God when things don't end up working out the way we want them to. Notice that, notice that even initially she puts the blame on God. What she say here? The Lord has restrained me. God, it's your fault. Your plan has not worked. Therefore, I've got to help you out. You think that happens today? Tragically, it does. You might be in a tough marriage or you might be in a tough job. And God may have a plan and a purpose in that. It may be God's will to leave you in that situation until he has accomplished his purpose and brought glory to his name in that. But sometimes when things don't happen the way we think they should, we start scheming. We start planning, start scheming, coming up with all these little options of our own. And we can even start blaming God too, right? We may tell God, God, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You know, if only you had done such and such in my life, then God, I wouldn't have been in this predicament. If you had given me a different spouse or if you'd given me a a different job or if you'd given me a different boss or or if you'd made me differently, if I was prettier, if I was more handsome, if I was smarter, if I was richer... We rationalize while we need to go ahead and try to take things into our own hands. And you know something? God may even initially give us some degree of success in our plan. It seemed like Sarai's plan was working out just fine. Hagar conceived. Folks, we need to learn that not everything in life that works and not everything in life that is legal is approved by God. Just because men say, yeah, sure, go ahead with that, doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes. Remember Paul's teaching on this? To the Corinthians, anybody remember that? What Paul have to say about this? 
All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient or profitable. And what was the situation behind that that statement? Do you remember? Does anybody remember? Eating food offered to idols. Paul's saying, you know, uh, the way they did the meat markets back then in, in pagan cities like Corinth. You know, the, the pagans would offer sacrifices to their deities. And then the leftover meat they'd take to the meat market. And, and the prices would be slashed because it had been offered in the pagan temple. And Paul said, you know, I, I can go down to that pagan meat market and I can buy the meat. And it's, price has been slashed. It's on sale. Good stewardship for me. I, I, don't, I don't believe in that deity. So I can buy that meat. I'm certainly not taking home that meat. And as I cook it and eat it, I'm, I'm recognizing that false god in some way. I'm not doing I'm just getting a good price on meat. Hey, it's good for my budget. He says, however... If there's a weak brother, a Christian brother, that sees me doing that, and I get that meat and cook it, knead it, or you know, even have him over or what, and it causes him to stumble in his faith, I would rather not get that meat to begin with. It's permissible for me to get it. But it's not profitable because it would make my brother stumble. So again, what Sarai did was fine in the eyes of the world around her. Nobody would have questioned what they did here. It was done all the time with women who couldn't have children on their own. But it wasn't the right thing to do. Later on, God did not refer to Hagar as Abraham's wife. He continued to call her Sarai's maid. In other words, God did not legitimize this plan. That's interesting, isn't it? It can be so easy to chart our own course, to come up with our own plan, even to succeed at our plan. But folks, if it violates God's word, it's not right. What you and I do in life must pass God's inspection. Regardless of how acceptable it may seem in the eyes of other men. And we dare not use the world as a guide whether or not something is to be approved or not that we do in our lives. The Bible says if it is not of faith, what is it? It's sin. Well, thirdly tonight, I want you to see the reality of consequences. 
The reality of consequences, beginning in verse 5. Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant's in your power. Do to her as you wish or as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Hagar turns on Sarai. She looks with contempt on her. Ha, ha, ha. I'm pregnant. You couldn't get pregnant. I'm pregnant. Sarai's plan has now become her curse. What she thought was a solution is now what? It's now mocking her. They began in the spirit, but now they have turned to the flesh. They started with God's plan. Now they have adopted their plan. And it's not working out so good for them. Isn't that just like the world? I had a man tell me several years back. He said, you know, pastor, when I was young, I knew what God's word said about the Christian life I knew how I should live I knew what it said about marriage I knew what it said about family life but you know what I thought nah I'll be okay I'm gonna do things my way it'll be fine years later he saw that it wasn't fine and his life had turned into an absolute mess An absolute mess. He said, you know, at the time I just thought everything's okay. But now it has all come crashing in on me. And he said, Pastor, what a fool I have been. What a fool I have been. To think I could thumb my nose at God's word and it would end up okay. And he said, it was okay for a while. It was okay for a while. But it's all caught up with me now. Let me suggest something very important here. When you find yourself suffering because of ungodly choices, what do you need to do? First of all, seek God's forgiveness. Then also ask God for a road map out of the mess. Right? When it comes to that roadmap, that doesn't mean you're not going to have to continue paying some consequences. But it does mean that God can keep you from adding one mess on top of another one. You know, sometimes when we're digging a hole, what do we do? We just keep digging, don't we? King David did that. Didn't he? Committed adultery. Caught up with him. So what's he going to do now to cover that up? I'm going to commit murder. Folks, it would have been much better if, if Abram... I mean, Abram's the leader of his family. If Abram would have called his family together, Sarai and Hagar and 
You know, everywhere Abram's going, what's he doing? He's building altars. He's worshiping God. If he'd called uh, Sarai and say, you know what? We just, boy, we really fouled things up and sought the mind and heart of God and forgiveness. And, you know, Hagar, with you even, we've made a mess out of this, repented of all this. You know what? Uh, they, you know, things could have been different. Maybe the end of the chapter would have turned out differently. But notice what they did. What Sarah do? Sarah at this point, she turned on Abram. She basically says, I, I did what I thought was the noble thing at the time. Now Hagar despises me. Abram, it's your fault. What's Abram do? He passes the buck. He's going to be the passive male here. When again, providing leadership for his family out of this, he just wants to avoid the whole situation and put it back on her and say, just do whatever you want to do. So what's Sarah do? Mistreats Hagar. Then what's Hagar do? She runs. Have you ever discovered in life that none of those approaches work? Blaming others. Ignoring the problems. Trying to run away from them. None of those problems work. None of them work. Consequences catch up. Sin has to be dealt with properly. I wonder tonight if I'm speaking to somebody that's in a period of waiting. How long has God had you waiting? You may have been waiting for years. Does that, necess- does that mean that God has failed in His promise to you? Doesn't mean that at all, does it? How long are you willing to wait on God? Oh God, I'll give you a year. I'll give you six months. I'll give you a year. I'll give you 18 months. I'm, I'm waiting on there. God, if you hadn't, if you hadn't uh, done something... In 18 months, I'm, I'm taking situa- the situation in my own hands. I hope you don't say things like that. Some people do. Some people say, I'm, I'm pr- Pastor, I'm praying about this. If, if God doesn't intervene and do something over the next six months, I'm going to go ahead and do this regardless. Don't do that. Again, God may have you waiting For a reason. If he has you waiting, he does have you waiting for a reason. It is for a purpose. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. There's a reason. What's God want to teach you through that? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? I hope so. Are you committed to God's glory? Perhaps you're in Abram's shoes. You failed. You came up with your own solution. And now you're in a mess. You're going to keep digging? Or are you going to come to God and say, God, forgive me, I messed up. Now, what do you want? I'm ready to listen. 
I'm ready to do it your way. If you have that kind of spirit, he, he'll teach you and he'll show you what to do.